Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. And we ask that as you open the eyes of our hearts, that we would receive from your word. Lord, I pray if there's one that doesn't know you today, that you would draw them by the power of your spirit, that they might know you as Lord and Savior and provider of everything. Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks for the rain that you've given. We give you thanks for the blessings that we have expected as necessities, but yet you've still chosen to give them. And Lord, we thank you for all that you will do in the days ahead. And may the name of the Lord be praised this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter, excuse me, Deuteronomy. Malachi chapter 3. I'm not even quoting Deuteronomy today. Malachi chapter 3. And um, I saw a movie this week um, called Moneyball. Uh, which was actually a, a pretty good, pretty good movie. I'm not suggesting you run out and take your children and everything. So for those of you who are concerned, uh, but it was interesting. The concept is this: in in uh, 2001, uh, the A's, Oakland A's, who were a small market team, made it to the playoffs. But after the playoffs, they basically had uh, the, their all stars taken from their team because their contracts were up and they couldn't afford to pay them the money. Uh, that the market demanded. So, of course, the uh, the evil New York Yankees uh, took some of their players, and uh, because they have all the money, you know what I mean. And th- even at that time, uh, they were pay- their salary was somewhere their their payroll was somewhere around 130 million dollars, and the Oakland A's uh, only had like 30. The year before, only had like a 36 or 37 million dollar, and then it went up and t- somewhere in the 40s. But it was still nearly a hundred million dollars difference. And so Billy Bean, who was the general manager of the A's, he said, we've, we've got to think of a way to compete because what we can't do is we can't do it dollar for dollar. We're not going to be able to get the same athletes that they can, and we're, we're always going to be losing our premier athletes uh, because of the money situation. We're just a small market team. We don't have that much money. And so they discovered a way uh, in which uh, they used a really a pretty sophisticated mathematic formula to to, uh, to track and to have certain players come that were affordable and could hopefully get the same results as paying the big money uh, to one or two guys. And so they did that system, and it actually worked pretty well. Matter of fact, they won as many games as the Yankees that year and had a 20-game win streak uh, where they went undefeated and set an American League record. And uh, so, and after that time, many other teams took upon that concept called Moneyball. And, uh, again, the concept was we can get the value uh, from different selected undervalued players and not have to rely just on a couple of big names and not get in the, the market or in the competition of trying to get big names because we can't afford it. You know, a lot of times when we think about the kingdom of God and we think about the spread of Christianity, we think about our world, we think, how on earth are we going to be able to overcome the values that billions of dollars are being spent to propagate in, uh, in America, how do we as believers uh, teach our children these values? How on earth uh, can we spread the gospel and share the good news of Jesus Christ uh, when we see how many nations are predominantly Islam or, or other religions that um, are somewhat hostile toward Christianity? How will they ever hear the good news of Christ? And how can we compete, so to speak, on that scale? And the good news is, is that God has not asked us uh, to try to compete in that manner. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are to do what we can and trust God with the rest. We are to be 
faithful with what God has given us. We are to be faithful uh, with the resources and the opportunities that God himself has given us. And so today, as I preach from Malachi 3, this is one of the more controversial passages in the Bible. This is one of those passages that just make people mad. You know what I mean? And some of you are going to start reading it now. What does it say? You know, good for you. Now you'll read it. <clears throat> Let me give you real quick just a, a, a one-minute overview synopsis of the book. Now, this is the last book of the Old Testament. The last book that God will give asking the nation of Israel to, to repent and return to him. So he's saying, I want you to repent. I want you to return to me. I want you to come back to me. And I want you uh, to, to make me your God above all others and that you will have no other God before you. I want you to come back and worship me. And, and one of the ways that I want you to, to uh, do this is by repentance. That's primary. And that is the focus here. And after you repent, I want you to begin to give. I want you to begin to tithe. And I want you to begin to serve, which are indicators of your heart. And so I want you to do that. And I want you to know that there's a day coming where the Messiah will come. And I want you to prepare yourselves. And I don't want you to worry that there are other bigger nations out there. And there are nations out there that might oppress you. I want you to trust me. And I want you to serve me and serve me alone. That's the principal message because things were going well in Malachi's day, and many of them had kind of fallen off the ladder. They were still worshiping, but they were doing it half-heartedly. And they were neglecting some of the important aspects of worship to Yahweh God Almighty. And so that's where we're going to pick up in, at, at this time. And so when we look at this passage, though, you know, there's always three questions um, that we want to ask. First of all, what, what does the Bible say right there? What does it literally say? Um, because some will say, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. We're not under Old Testament covenant anymore. We don't have to worry about anything the Old Testament says. You know, no, that's not exactly correct. First of all, we know the moral law is still in force. And we, we would never say this. Ten Commandments. We don't have to do those anymore. We can lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery, whatever we want. That was an Old Testament. Okay, we, that's ridiculous. Okay? What the Bible tells us is we are under a new covenant of grace. But the principles of the Old Testament are still very valid for today, okay? Jesus didn't come to wipe away the law. He, he, he rid really of the ceremonial law, but even if I went to some of the ceremonial law, that's not all bad. I mean, if you give up eating pork, that's not the worst thing in the world for you, okay? That's a good principle still to live by. So those are not bad things. Old Testament, bad. Good Testament, good. No. You know, when Jesus was reading the Bible, you know what he was reading and studying? He studied the Old Testament, okay? He didn't have a New Testament. So it's still, in, uh, the principles of most of the Old Testament are still applicable today, okay? Even though they were under a covenant and we are under a new covenant of grace. So as we literally read this, we can know that. The second thing is, what did it mean to them at that time? As they were receiving this, what did it mean? And so we're going to talk about that for just a moment. First of all, it meant uh, that they were in covenant with God. And God said, look, I will bless you and I will be your God if you'll be faithful to me and worship me alone and keep my precepts. I'm going to bless you. If not, you're not, I'm going to withhold my blessings and it'll actually act as a curse, not having my protective hedge of covering over you. So as we look at that, we, we know that there was a covenant between the nation of Israel and God. But let me say this. The one thing that would be true is, they're not necessarily, it's an Old Testament covenant, they're not promises directly to us, but they are principles that God will honor. Now, let me give you an example of that, okay? 
Here's an example, a, a great verse, and I think it's a terrific verse, and I want you to listen carefully. I don't want you to misquote me and say that I don't believe the Bible, okay, or, or mess you up, so listen very carefully. There's a great verse, Second Chronicles 7.14. I love that verse, and this is what it says. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. That's a great verse. And I think that's a prayer we ought to pray. But you know what? That wasn't a promise made to us in the United States. That was a promise given to the children of Israel who were in covenant with him. So what we can't do is say, God, I demand that you keep your promise. You promised me that if I would pray and seek your face and humble myself and ask forgive my sins, that you would heal. God, you have to come through on your promise. No, he doesn't. Because he didn't promise you that. He promised them that. But you know what I believe? I believe he will honor that principle. It's just like you have two children. If you have one son, let's say you have two sons. And one of them, you tell them, you know, here's the deal I'm going to make with you, son. If you will work and save up half the money, I will pay for your first year of college. I'll pay the rest of it. If you will, if you will save up $1,000, then I'll pay for the rest of your college that first year. Well, what if your second son, a couple years later, he comes to college. Does he have the right to say, now, Dad... You promised me that if I would raise a thousand dollars, you you promised me. No, I promised your brother that. But I, but you know what you would probably do? You'd go. I would love to do that for you too, son. That's a principle I would love to honor. And you know the great thing about God is it's not that can He afford it? He will honor. He loves to bless His children. He loves to honor His principles. But it's out of grace. We're in the grace cup. He does it because He loves us, not because He has to. Not because he's promised and he can't go back on his word. Because he loves you and because we're under grace, he will honor those principles of Scripture. So when we look at this text, we know this. It was a covenant meant for them. But I think for today what we can understand is that we can still glean from the mercies and the grace of God. That God loves to honor his covenant principles even today. But he does it under grace because of his love for us and his relationship to us. Now, with that said, let's begin reading in Malachi chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. See here, I will send my messenger, and I believe he's speaking here of John the Baptist, who will prepare the way before me. This is the last book of the Old Testament. And he says, then suddenly the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, you are seeking, will come into the temple. And the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now, let me stop right here and, and say something else. The temple. What did the temple mean in that time? The temple at that time was the place where they came to worship God. It's the place where they came to have their sins forgiven. They would make their sacrifices. And the temple was one location that basically uh, was in, in, basically in authority over all uh, those who worshipped Yahweh God. It was the central place where God dwelt. It was believed that he literally dwelt there. And so a lot of times pastors sometimes may say, and I disagree with them, but they may say, and you know what, today the temple is our church. So this is the temple. So, But you know what, That's that was then. Today I don't think you can make that association. I guess you could, but I would disagree with that. Because we don't have one central location, one building where the presence of God is, and we go and offer sacrifices today. Okay? So, 
the temple was for that time. But if you'll go to the New Testament, what is the temple described as? Well, first of all, it's just, Jesus Christ says, I am the temple. Matter of fact, he says, if you tear this temple down in three days, I will raise it again. Okay? So the, Jesus Christ has become the temple, and we are the body of Christ. All right? And so when we talk about the temple in the Old Testament sense, it was for that particular covenant. And we don't currently have a temple in operation that takes on your sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. We believe that Christ Jesus died once and for all and took the place and the need for that. And he is the ultimate temple, and we are a part of the body of Christ. As we continue on here, um, he says in verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as the days gone by as in the former. So I come near to you for judgment. I will come quick to testify against the sorcerers, the adulterers, and the perjurers, and against those who defraud the laborers of their wages and oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the aliens of justice. But do not fear, says the Lord Almighty. I am the Lord, and I do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Even though you have not kept your covenant, you have not kept your responsibilities, I will keep my end. There's still a remnant that I have preserved. And ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, repent, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we to return? And he says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you said, how have I robbed you? What do you mean? How do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You are under curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Test me and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven, if I will not meet your needs. Now, let's go back again. Let's talk about what that meant. We just said that the temple in that day, uh, today there's not an equivalency of the temple. All right, so we just said that. But what about the storehouse? Now, the storehouse, another Hebrew, in Hebrew, literally, you could also translate that as the treasury. It was where the, the um, grains and the gold and the silver, it's where the materials were brought to uh, the temple. And then, it, then they took them to the storehouse. And from the storehouse, they would send them out to Levitical cities and also to synagogues uh, to, to, to help do a few things. And matter of fact, this money came to the storehouse through the tithe, which we'll come to in a moment, okay? Now, what did the money, the tithe, and the money in the storehouse, what did that go for? I'll tell you in the Old Testament. Here's what it went for. It went for the priest and the Levites. It went to support their livelihood. That was the first thing that it went for. The second thing that it went for uh, was celebration and the feast. When they would have the festivals and the feasts, and they would invite as you, you saw the term aliens, they would invite those who did not, not go Yahweh, those who were not a part of the covenant, to come and to experience the goodness of the Lord. And they would celebrate and worship through the feasts. And then thirdly, it was for the poor. Okay? It was for ministry. So uh, here's what I would say. I would say today that you could make the application that the local church functions as a storehouse. 
not as a temple, but as a storehouse. In other words, uh, we have ministers today. Number two, we still do times where we celebrate, whether it's with food, where we celebrate times. We have times in the community where we do service of outreach, where we seek uh, to bring people in and seek to make an impact in our community, and we can, we help the poor. Uh, also, I think on that outreach aspect, also missions uh, is a very big part of what we do according to the Great Commission. So I think you can make a strong case for the storehouse, not the temple, but for the storehouse today, okay? And then he says the tithe. Now, what's the tithe? Well, literally, it just means a tenth. And this is an argument you'll hear all the time. Well, you know, that was the Old Testament. I don't have to do that anymore. Glad that's gone. You know, we're under grace. I don't have to do anything. Well, that would be a, not only a huge stretch, that would be a fallacy. Um, we are under grace. We are no longer under the Old Testament covenant. But I believe that the tithe is still a guideline. Uh, it is a place to start. It is not the required specific, here's what, here's what you're going to do. But it is a place to start. Matter of fact, we know that because Jesus uh, even referred to it in that way. Uh, Jesus did, if you have uh, your Bibles, look with me in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. And actually, this is found twice in the Bible. But in Luke 11:42, Jesus is speaking here. How you like the sermon so far? It's really good, huh? I'm glad you came, I bet. Some of you are mad and can't wait to, for an excuse to get out of here. You're hoping the lights go out. Um, let's start with verse 39. Luke 11:39. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but in the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people did not one, uh, did not the one who made the outside make the inside, but give what is inside the dish to the poor. He's talking about your heart. He's talking about your resources. He says, give to the poor and everything will be clean for you. And then he says in verse 42, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. What does he say there? He says, look, you should have tithed, but let me tell you even the bigger issue is this. He said, even, even more than the tithe, he said, you cannot neglect justice and the love of God. In other words, you're being legalistic. You're doing the legalistic limit, and you're going, I'm done. I don't care what needs around me. I don't care what comes up. I'm done. I did my part. I'm finished, so go away. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're missing it. If you're using that as a legalistic amount, then you're missing the whole principle. You are now under grace. And as the Spirit moves upon you, you want to give, and you want to share, and you want to help, and you want to assist. It's not that here's this amount, or here's the service that I do, and I'm done. You see, Christ gave His whole life. He suffered and died and gave himself completely. And now that's what he asks for us, that we completely trust him. Matter of fact, if we go back, a great principle, if we go back uh, into the book of First Chronicles 29, verse 11, David does a praise and a prayer and he says, God, everything comes from your hand. All that we have has been given to us from you. And here's the principle. You've heard stewardship. We are stewards. 
sometimes that doesn't equate to us in 2011 in North America. Here's what we are. We're brokers, okay? And, and I know that's not always a positive term either, okay? But we are brokers. And if we go back to Matthew 24, we see the, we see the parable of the talent. God has entrusted and given to us. He said, look, here, I want you to steward. I want you to broker this. I'm going to give you these talents. I'm going to give you these resources. And they're mine, but I am trusting you to use them. And I want you to invest them. And I want you to multiply them. And you're going to live off the fruits of that. But remember that it's mine. And when I ask you and I lead you to give, I want you to give. And I want you to do cheerfully and gratefully. Just like us, just like one of those servants who he said, look, here's a talent. Here's two. Here's five. Wow, thank you, God. Thank you for blessing me. And what God doesn't want you to do is go dig a hole and put it in the ground and say, I'm just protecting. I don't want anybody to get to that. Matter of fact, some people approach it this way. Some people spend too much. That's why they couldn't give. I'm sure that's what was happening then. Some couldn't give a tithe because they were spending it on other things. You know, and I, and I don't want you to get sidetracked on this illustration, but when we first started, we didn't have a good benevolence policy. So when people would come, we'd go, okay, we got some money. Okay, we give it to them. You know what I mean? We just kept doing We just kept paying bills and because uh, we were trying to be gracious. And then after about a year and a half, there was this one family. They were coming like eight, nine months in a row. They just kept coming and coming. We wanted to help them, but we realized, you know, I don't know what we're helping them. I think we're just paying their bills. And I don't think there's any, there's nothing changing here. And so we, so we said, you know, we've got to come up with a system. We've got to come up with a formula. Let's ask some questions. Let's get them on a budget. Let's find out what they're spending their money on. So one of our guys went over there, and um, when he came back, he goes, you know what, they're going to be fine. I said, really? I said, I thought, like, they were going to lose their house, and they couldn't spend their electricity. He said, you know, I found out, he said, um, basically there was about $600 they had that they didn't have to spend. If they'll just quit spending, they're going to have more than they need. They keep being two and $300 short. We found $600. I said, what would you find? And let me say this before I share this. I'm not saying that you can't have these things. I'm saying that you shouldn't do these things if you can't afford them. And I think if you're doing these things and you say, I can't give, I can't give because I have all, because I have to do all these things, then in effect, you're in the same place that the people of, of the book of Malachi were. Here's what was going on. First of all, he said, well, they had three phones. They had two cell phones and a home phone. So I told him, okay, let's, let's go to one cell phone and drop two of those phones. He said, and that was like $120 we saved right now there. Then we had high-speed Internet. He said, let's just go to regular Internet. And he started going down. He goes, you know, they had, um, they both smoked and they were, you know, smoked and drank. And he said, all right, we're just going to get rid of that privilege for a little while. Uh, we're not going to pay for that. Uh, then we started going. They had, uh, had uh, cable and direct TV. Why do you need cable and direct TV? And started going down. And we just went through the list. And he came up with like 22 things that were luxuries. They didn't have to do that. It totaled almost 700, 600 and something dollars. And um, so when we gave them that budget, and, yeah, I mean, you know what happened. That lasted about two months, and they're knocking on the door again. But we could go back and say, have you done these things? They said no. And we realized we weren't being good stewards. We weren't being helpful to them. Now, the principle of this is for us. Sometimes we say, I can't give, but if I, if I walked in your home, and I'm not going to, by the way, but if I walked in your home and, and you say you can't, how many of those things do you possess? How many of those things that you think are needs? Well, you know, I gotta have an NFL game day. I'm, I'm sorry, I just gotta have that, you know, because my, my my team's not playing here right now. Or I've gotta have it. Hey, and there's nothing wrong with NFL game day. I love sports. Okay, I'm all for sports. I think they're great. Get your kids in them. Wives learn to watch. I think they're great. Okay. I'm saying if you can't pay your bills, all right, then go to somebody else's house and watch the game. All right. Go to Chili's. They offer it free. All right. I'm just saying. It, you can't make an argument in North America today, I can't, I can't do it. I, I, I can't give. 
I just don't have anything. I mean, every dollar is accounted for. Let me ask you this. Are you going to Starbucks every day? There's $4 a day, four times 30. There's 120 bucks. You know, one of my friends, you know, one of his deal, God led him to quit. He said, I've got to just do one a day. I go, one a day? How many? He's, he, I was doing four a day. I'm thinking, you better never talk about it. You can't give to anything. You know, that's, that's like more bucks for, you know. And I mean, and we find ourselves in these addictions, and we go, oh, God, I wish you'd meet my needs. God, if you'll just bless me, I'll do something. God's going, I have blessed you. <laughs> what are you talking about? And we laugh, but we, sometimes we are the people of Malachi. Sometimes that is true of us. God says here, very plainly, very bluntly, will a man rob God, but yet you have robbed me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there will be food in my house. Let me say something else controversial. Since we're here, and I'm already way into this thing. Um, you know what I think? I, that was the Old Testament. They had to bring it to the storehouse. And I still believe that for most of us as believers, if we have jobs, that we ought to be doing 10%. We ought to be doing at least 10%. I do believe that. Is that the legalistic amount? No. And some pastors would tell you, and that needs to all come to our church right here. You need to give it all to Rock Point Church right here. Yeah, and that's great if you do. I hope you do. But can I tell you this? I don't think you're sinning if you're giving to other places as well. Okay? If it didn't all come to Rock Point, that's okay. You don't need to be in bondage over that. The principle here is giving in, in the New Testament, and it's grace. And I believe that you should be supporting your local church. But, you know, there might be some other things that you're supporting. Great. Keep doing that. I'm not telling you to quit. And somebody said, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. You know, you're getting ready to build a building, and you just told people they could give somewhere else. That's a scarcity mindset. I believe in a God who supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory. Can I tell you there's plenty? There's plenty. Matter of fact, here's the deal. We got enough to pay cash for our building. That's the good news. The bad news is it's still in your pocket. All right? So that's that's the reality of it. Okay? So I don't want to operate in this scarcity mentality that, ooh, we're not going to get enough. All right? Here, let me, I, I was reading this last night. Let me digress for just a second. I was reading this last night and it just overwhelmed me. You know, we're, we're part of feeding my starving children and this year we'll do at least a quarter million meals, uh, for children. And I, I went and I looked at the map. How many, I looked, I looked all this up last night. How many people are there that are going, are hungry today? And, uh, the latest statistic I could find was 925 million people are suffering from hunger, uh, today. And I, I looked up, how many churches are there? In, in, uh, in the United States alone. And there was like 465,000, almost 470,000. Do you realize that in just the United States alone, if each church did about 750,000 meals a year, that we would literally be able to feed the world? And we said, God, why are you letting those people suffer? God, why don't you supply? He supplied it. It's here. And can I tell you this? As a church, we're going to be doing that. By 2015, we're going to be doing 750,000. I, I, I kid you not. Or you're going to be hearing about this every week. All right. I, I mean, they're going to be, we're going to, we're going to do our part. And that's just the United States. That's not counting Australia. That's not counting Europe. That's not counting any other continent. That's the United States. I'm not even counting Canada, for goodness sake. I'm just saying the United States. And I want to show you our vision here. I uh, should have started here, but I want to show you our vision up here. And you've seen it before. 
And uh, I just want you to get a, a taste of it. You see here, the dream of our church in 2001 is that we would, would be, be a, an equipping church, that we'd be a receiving church, an impacting church, and a sending church. That ultimately we would be a church that sends people out to start new congregations, and we would send people overseas, and uh, we would be constantly launching new churches. We launched in 2002 uh, the church at Lantana, and then God, I wish I had time to tell you the story, in 2006, we, we obtained this property, which was a almost a miracle for pennies on the dollar. God gave us this 15-acre track, almost 16-acre track, and um, that I really believe that God wants us to use as a launching pad to send people out, to send people overseas, to send people to start churches so that they can multiply the same vision so that we will feed people, so that we will send people out and continue. So that's the ascent. We are, we've had eight people go out and plant churches. We have three families right now that we're, that are on the field serving. You saw one of them. Uh, and our next step, we want to build a base camp, a base camp where we can do this on a larger scale and uh, we can support all the people that we have right here. And that next base camp is the journey, the building, the commitment card that you see that we're asking you to pray about, that in two weeks we're going to ask you to turn in. And we're doing that because we want to be at about 1,500 to 1,700 adults on a Sunday morning worship. Why that number? So that we can do this without it having an adverse effect on our congregation. In other words, if we send 150 people out, we can adequately uh, absorb that without it affecting us negatively. And we continue that process. That's going to be the base camp. And then by 2015, 10 mission fields, 10 church plants, 1,000 children, 10 hours, and you can mark down 750,000 meals we'll be doing a year by then. I'm adding, I'm officially adding that uh, to our vision, all right? Um, and then the summit, as we continue to do that on a massive scale, as we begin to plant churches that have that same vision to make more and better followers of Christ, to receive, to equip, to impact, to send, to feed, to share the love of Christ. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're saying be a part of something bigger than yourself. Something that's going to go on for eternity. Something that makes an eternal impact. Alright? Alright, now let me show you the, the, the brick and mortar real quick. Alright? And we'll just do this real quick. Here's where we are right now. You see it up there. I've got a thing. A laser pointer somewhere. I lost it. Um, you see that's the building up here where we're in right now. This is what we're going to do. It's roughly, we're going to double what we have. We don't have a big building right now. It's roughly going to be double. And that will take us to where we, we need to be in order to accomplish the vision. And uh, that's good. We don't even need to do the next picture. Let's move on back to the vision. And let me wrap this sermon up while I'm still not completely wound up. All right. So, let me close here. So, what are you going to do? Let me share this illustration with you real quick. I, when I was uh, first out of college, I was coaching at a, a middle, at a, actually a junior high and high school, and I was a defensive coordinator for the for the junior high. And um, I had a little boy named Ricky Kahn who came up to me and said, "Coach, I really want to play linebacker." And Ricky was a tough kid. He loved to hit, loved to run. He would play as hard as he could, but he just wasn't big. He was small, you know. He lay, he weighed like 115 pounds. It was about five two, and 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 he always wanted to play there. And he was pretty quick, and I, and I said, "Ricky, you're just not big enough to play linebacker." I, I finally had to pull him off one day. I said, "Look, you can be a decent cornerback. How's a cornerback? That's a great position. I said, you can be a good cornerback." But I said, "Man, you just need to focus your efforts on here, coach. I really want to play linebacker." I said, "Well, you just need to get happy over here." Well, I I leave and go on because you know, of course, I I know football, and I'm Mr. Mastermind here. I I, I knew I was really helping that kid, right? Well, I go on and I leave and I come to seminary and come, come over here and, and about, uh, four years later I go back 
And I pick up the newspaper, a little local newspaper in the hometown I was in, and I look on there and it says, uh, Ricky Kahn, most valuable play, defensive player of state of Louisiana, middle linebacker, Pickering High School. I was thinking, I'm glad that kid didn't listen to me. <laughs> Here's the point. What is the voice today telling you you can't do it? You don't have enough. You can't do it. You're fine. You know what? Just accept the position that God's in. Just accept that that's for other people. Except the fact that other people are going to make an impact and you will watch and you'll just, you'll be here to, to kind of support and to say, way to go. So here's the question. Are you going to listen to the voice of fear or the voice of faith? I don't know what that means for you. I've already told you, I don't know that that means it all goes here. I've already told you that. But I can tell you this. God has called us as believers as he called the Old Testament children to give. That's a part of our worship. It's part of who we are. And we will not fully grow in our faith and we will not fully be a part of the impact of the kingdom if we don't. The question isn't if, it's how much and where will you do it. That's my question to you. Will you listen to the fear or to the faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you, God, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, thank you for the enormous vision that you've given us that is very Doable, Lord, as we participate, as we get on board. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would take this time and you would use it for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would inspect our hearts. And, Lord, let us ask the questions, Lord. Uh, Lord, are we doing things that affect the way that we live? Are we giving in a manner that it affects our lives? That it costs us? For we know, Lord, that it costs you everything. We thank you for the grace that has been poured out on us. And we trust you now as our Savior. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.